But we do appreciate uh, everyone being here today. Uh, no, the, today is, uh, or tomorrow, first day of spring break for a lot of the schools in the area. And I'm sure we've got, oh, I know we've got some people out of town uh, because of the holiday, but we've got some people with us for the, because of the holiday, I think, as well. So we appreciate your presence. Our prayers are with those that are, are traveling. We may have some watching online today. We're even grateful for that, that you're watching online and uh, uh, benefiting from, from that uh, provision as well. Um, I know we've got some people that are sick and some people that are recovering from surgeries and things like that, so keep them in mind as well. Now, I've got a lot of comments about the new clock. If you haven't noticed, we've got a new clock, and um, DeWitt called it a shot clock. It's got a uh, it's, it's sad and, and it's going to go down instead of up, not, but not, not really. Uh, some suggested that maybe it's uh, capable of having a message scrolling across like your time is up or time to, time to land that plane, Bob, bring it, bring it on down or something like that. But anyway, we appreciate everybody's presence. And we're going to talk a little bit about Scripture today, about the Bible. I hope you brought your Bible with you. We're going to be turning to the various passages in the Bible and notice some things that it has to say about itself today. The 119th Psalm is really a passage that focuses on the Bible and the various uh, benefits that we get from reading the Word of God and applying the Word of God, coming to a knowledge of the Word of God. And in the 105th verse of that Psalm, the 119th Psalm, the Bible says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's, that's what we, we understand the Bible to be. A lamp to our feet. In modern days, we'd use a flashlight, but in those days, they'd learn, use a lamp at burning a flame. And in the dark, it shows us how to go and where to place our feet to keep us out of danger, to keep us from harm. And it's a light to our path, as though it's a lamp and a light to our path that guides us in a dark world. When you think about the Bible, really there's, there's no question about it, I don't think. There's really not any issue that the Bible is the most important and extraordinary book published and circulated in the world. By any measure, it's the most important book and the most extraordinary book ever published. It's about 2,000 years, some of it over 3,000 years old by now, and yet it's widely read and widely studied and analyzed and all of those things. Even an unbeliever would admit that the Bible is the most important book and has that, had the most influ influence of, of any book that's ever been written. Now, an unbeliever might not accept what it says, but he at least has to grant that much. It's the most widely read book ever. Again, remarkable given that it's 2,000 years old. It has sold literally billions and billions of copies over the years. It's the most published book. It has sold the most copies of any book. It's the most widely distributed book. And so we have the Bible here in America, of course, but really all over the world. There are very few places, if any, where the Bible hasn't gone. It's the most widely distributed book. It's been translated into various languages more than any other book. And so, I don't know how many languages the Bible has been translated into, but language after language after language and after language, 
Wherever the gospel goes and wherever people go to teach the gospel of Christ, the saving message of Christ, if necessary, they translate the Bible into the local language. There are more versions of the Bible than any other book. And so even among our number here, there are various versions that are used. There may be the older King James Version, and I'm sure we would find the new King James Version. From time to time, I see people reading from the old 1901 American Standard Version. I use the new American Standard Version. There's the English Standard Version. There's the, the New International Version. Among others, we would find others uh, among us as well. And, and so there are more versions of the Bible. When we say a version of the Bible, it's simply the content of the Bible. The content of, is the same from version to version, maybe just in a little bit updated language or something like that. And so it's, they're not altering the content. They're just uh, expressing the content in a little bit different way. It's the most analyzed book in history, the most scrutinized book, and the most threatening book in, in history. We talked a little bit about that in our Revelation class. Why do, people why do people find the Bible so threatening? Because it tells us we must be, we must be loyal to God above everything else. More loyal to God than to our family even, to father and mother to a husband or a wife, more loyal to God than we are to our children, more loyal to God than we are to the government. And so if the government is trying to impose its will on the people, and they don't want people to question what they're doing, they're going to try to suppress the Bible. Because the Bible says there is an authority and a power that ranks higher even than the government. And so the government, those kinds of governments at least see the Bible as a threat, as a danger. And so they try to silence it, though they haven't been successful in their attempts. And so I want to think about the Bible this morning and why the Bible is so important to us. And we'll just begin by singing this song sometimes, Give Me the Bible. And so we'll start by asking the question, well, how do we get it? Where did the Bible come from? How, how do we get the Bible? Well, the process by which we got the Bible is, is really not a mystery. It's not like, well, we're not quite sure where it came from. We're not sure about its roots. It's sort of clouded in mystery. Nobody really knows. Well, that, that's not the case. The process of bringing the Bible to us has been carried out, we might say, in the light, in the light of day. We can trace that process from its beginnings through time up until today. And so what the Bible says is that the Holy Spirit worked in and with and through certain men to record the message that God wanted them to write. And so God worked through these men, worked in their mind, worked with their mind, worked through them to bring the Bible to us. They wrote down what God would have them to write down. And in a process of time, those writings were accumulated and put together, and that's what has come down to us. There are about 40 different men that wrote the Bible over about 1,500 years. And yet they all write in the, about the same thing, about the same idea, God's plan to save men and women through Jesus Christ. Even though these men didn't meet each other, they didn't live at the same time, they came from various backgrounds and situations, and yet their, their writings blend perfectly and harmoniously 
with, with each other, even though they didn't consult with each other in writing the Bible. Well, let's look at a few passages. I don't want to overwhelm you with passages this morning, but let's, let's look at a few. In the book of Exodus chapter 17 and verse 14, this very early on in the Bible, of course, Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible. But Exodus 17 verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua and so forth. Write this in a book. Moses is being told by God, I want you to record these events in a book. All right, let's go a little bit further in the book of Exodus chapter 34. And let's look at verse 27. This has to do with the, the law that God is giving to Moses. And the Lord says to Moses, write, de, write down these words, for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and Israel. And so God is telling Moses, I want you to write these things down. I want you to keep a written record of what I say to you and, and the events and the experiences that you have. And so from a very early on, Things are being written down, things are being recorded, and then they're being saved, they're being preserved. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, we'll just mention that in, in more or less in passing, that the king was to have his own copy of God's Word, and he was to read it and be aware of it continually. Then flip over to Deut Deuteronomy chapter 31, we'll look at this in a little bit more detail. In Deuteronomy we're going to look at several verses there, really just three. And so verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of the remission of debts, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place where he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. Now I want you to write this down. I want you to keep it. I want you to preserve it. And every seven years we're going to gather together and you're going to read that to the people. So not everyone would have their own personal access to God's Word like we do. And so every seven years we're going to have a big convocation, a big assembly, and the Word is going to be read to the, to the people. And then look at... Uh, the same chapter, Deuteronomy 31, verse 24. It came about when Moses finished writing the words of this law in a book until they were complete. And then he goes on to, to continue that thought. And so he was told to write these things down, and he did write them down. Now let's go over to the book of Joshua. This is a little bit later in the story of the Bible. In Joshua chapter 24, in verse 26, listen to Joshua wrote the, these words in the book of the law of God. He took a large stone and set it up there under the oak, which is by the sanctuary of the Lord. And so Joshua is continuing that process as well. Moses is to write these things down multiple occasions. Now Joshua, the successor of Moses, he's writing things down as well and preserving them, setting them aside. And so that's, that's the process, isn't it? God is telling people to write these things down. The Spirit is inspiring these men, informing them, guiding them, leading them into the exact message to write down. And we can continue this. David wrote Psalms. Solomon wrote Proverbs. The prophets spoke and wrote the Word of God so that 
By the time of Jesus, there was a large collection of written material that served as a guide to God's people. So by the time Jesus came along, there's a large collection of written material, material that has been written down and preserved that the people of Israel used as a guide. Now we have that collection. We call it the Old Testament. In the time of Jesus, it wouldn't be the Old Testament, just be the Scriptures. It wasn't the Old Testament to the New Testament came along. Just be the Scriptures. And so Jesus appeals to this on numerous occasions, doesn't he? Have you not read? All right. So he's appealing to this body of written material, the, the Old Testament, the Scriptures. Or he might say, it is written. Where is it written? It's written in the Scriptures. And so what's, how do we get the Bible? Well, in the Old Testament, men like Moses, Joshua, David, Solomon, Isaiah, and others, they're teaching and they're preaching and they're writing down what God would have them to write down. And that's being preserved through the years. And we have access to that even today in the Old Testament. Listen to what the New Testament writers say about the process by which the Old Testament came to be. Might look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, which simply says, I'll quote the last part of the, the verse, men moved by the Spirit spoke from God. He's, he's thinking about the prophecy of the Old Testament, the material of the Old Testament. Men moved, holy men were moved by the Spirit of God. And so this is Isaiah's own personal, uh, you know, meanderings and musings about uh, events of his day and what might happen in the future. Now, now Isaiah is moved by the Holy Spirit to preach and to write. Moses was moved by the Spirit to write. And so he's writing things down and those things are being collected and preserved so that by the time Jesus comes along, there's a rather large body of written material that the people of God appeal to as a guide. This is the Word of God to them. So they use it as a guide in their lives. Well, when it comes to the New Testament, much the same process takes place. Men are, in, we use the word inspired. Men are inspired by the Spirit of God to preach and to write. Look at Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 5. He says, he's, he refers to in verse 3 something that he had written. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And so the revelation of God sort of uh, increases over time. And so God reveals some of His plan at this time, and then He reveals more details of the plan at another time, and so forth. And so in the old days, in the Old Testament, God's plan was not as fully revealed, Paul says, as it is now. He says, when you refer to what I've written, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. That's the point that I want, to, want us to see, that these things that Paul writes have been revealed to them in the Spirit. And so again, Paul is not just making up uh, what, uh, using his, his best judgment or, or uh, you know, trying to, to make his, uh, to do his best uh, to, to write something good to the people. No, these things are revealed to him by the Spirit. 
Look at another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And so in verse 10 he says, God revealed them through the Spirit to us, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. So several times there, he refers to the Spirit. The Spirit is revealing these things, so much so that he can say that what we are, what we are teaching you, we're teaching not in words of human wisdom, but in those taught to us by the Spirit. And at the end of all this, the conclusion of all this is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Spirit is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training in righteousness that the man, may be, man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is inspired by God. All right, so that, that would cover the Old Testament Scripture, going back to the time of Moses. And then that would even include the New Testament as well. All Scripture is inspired by God. So how did we get the Bible? Well, we got the Bible when God revealed His message to men. They wrote it down. It was preserved over time. Now, that proposition has been challenged many times through the years. Uh, the Bible is not the Word of God. Uh, it hasn't been faithfully transmitted to us, or to, you know, the transmission of the Bible, they call that in, in question. You might hear sometimes people say, uh, a lot of mistakes and errors have been crept into the Bible. But the Bible has withstood every challenge. There have been attempts to silence the Bible, uh, to uh, ban the Bible, to keep the Bible away from people so that they don't have access to it and can't read it. All of those have failed. There have been lots of uh, attempts like that, but all of them has fa uh, have failed. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24 says, Now all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass wither, withers, the, the flower fades away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Well, flowers come and go. Human beings come and go. The Word of the Lord abides forever. There have been lots of attempts to try to silence the Bible and ban the Bible and keep it out of the hands of people. All of those have failed. It's still here. You see, the Word of the Lord abides forever. Again, sometimes people will say, well, you know, a lot of mistakes are in the Bible. As people have copied it through the years, a lot of errors have, have crept in, either unintentionally or maybe in some cases intentionally. Some nefarious things and sinister things have gone on in the transmission of the Bible. Well, if somebody ever says that, just ask, well, where? where, where? Name, name me one of them. Name me one of the errors that has crept into the Bible. You know? If you're going to make that assertion, well, let's, you know, just support that in some way. Name one of the errors and we'll talk about that. We'll investigate it, we'll research it, and we'll see what kind of conclusion we can, we can reach. I think I can say without fear of contradiction, the Bible is the most carefully preserved book 
in history. And so it's an ancient book, as I said, the newest parts are 2,000 years old. Moses lived in the middle of the 15th century BC, I think. And so some of it's over 3,000 years old. But among books of its kind, books of antiquity, before the printing press, of course, or digital cameras or anything like that, we, we can safely say the Bible is the best preserved book in history. There, there's no question about it, how, how carefully it's been preserved. And, and, and we can investigate that process, and we can research that process. You might even want to become part of the process if uh, you have the right credentials to do that. It's not, it's not done in the darkness. It's been done in the light. And so we can safely say the Bible is the most carefully preserved book in history. So it's important for us to understand what the Bible is. Why is the Bible so important to us? You know, why, why do we devote hours each week to a study of the Bible? Why do we get here at 9 o'clock and open the Bible and study it? Why do we come back on Wednesday night and study the Bible? Why, why do we have Bibles in our homes and we read them regularly and study them and teach the Bible? Well, why, why do we do that? Well, the Bible is the Word of God. And we need to give it the proper place in our lives. Now, most people depend on their own judgment and how to live their lives, their own feelings, their own intuition, might be faced with a decision and think, well, you know, I kind of, kind of feel like this is the right thing to do. They might uh, depend on the opinions of others, seek the advice of other people or the tr tradition to guide them. I've got this decision to make, but, you know, in my family, we've always done it this way. Or might ask the advice of others to guide, give us some guidance in, in life and in religion, spiritual matters. Why would we do that when we've got the Bible? Why would we do that when we've got God's Word? You know, my judgment's not very good sometimes. I bought some cars. One long after I bought, I bought them, I thought, that was a bad decision. <laughs> now I'm, I'm kind of stuck with it, you know. Or maybe we get into a relationship, and after a little while we think, you know, Bad mistake. That's that, that bad. My, my judgment wasn't very good. Now, why would we trust our own judgment, especially in important matters, when we've got the Word of God to guide us? All right, so that's why the Bible is so important to us. It's been given to us by God, and it's a guide to our life. Remember, it's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. That's where we began. And so... That's why the Bible is so important. That's why we need to understand it. That's why we need to study it and learn what it says, because God is revealing His will to us in the Bible. All right, next question, what do we learn from it? What does the Bible teach us? Well, I'm just going to offer a few ideas here. The Bible teaches us about God. Now, Paul will say in Romans chapter 1 that we can learn some things about God from the things that He's made. You remember that passage, Romans 1 verse 20? Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. And so His attributes, invisible attributes, power, divinity can be seen by what has been made. And so we can look at the world and its splendor and magnificence and complexity, and we can come to the conclusion that there is a God. 
He's powerful. <laughs> he is God. There is a God. He is God. And He has great power. So we can learn some things about God through the creation. But there are things that we need to know about God that we cannot learn except through His Word. And so in His Word, God is revealing Himself to us. We learn the characteristics of God. We learn what God is like through a study of the Bible. Now, the passage that I like to use to illustrate that is Exodus chapter 34, because here God is explaining about Himself. He's explaining Himself to us. And He says in verse 6, The Lord passed by in front of Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, listen to these attributes, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness or loyal love. Some versions say mercy and truth. He keeps that loyal love or mercy or loving kindness for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Well, that's a great God, isn't it? God is telling us His attributes, what He is like. But then there's another side to God as well. Yet He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. So notice the two sides of God's character. It's full of compassion, truth, mercy, patience, and yet He won't leave the guilty unpunished. Now that particular passage is quoted in verbatim at least seven times in the Old Testament. But uh, we'll move on. Look at Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah 57. Here's another passage in which we, we learn the attributes of God, what He's like. Verse 16. God says, Nor will I contend forever, nor will I always be angry for the Spirit of... Let's back up a little bit. Verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one, high and exalted. Now this is God speaking the high and exalted one, okay, who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And so the holiness of God is emphasized in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 6, the seraphim are flying about. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. The whole earth is full of His glory. And, and so He's a holy God. He's powerful. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's sitting in a high and holy place, but also with the contrite, but also with the lowly. And so look at those two sides of God. High and holy, powerful, majestic, but also willing to condescend and dwell with the contrite. Now notice that, dwell with the contrite. And so we talk about the transcendence of God and how different He is from us and how much higher He is than us, but we also need to talk about the closeness of God, that He is with us. He's willing to dwell with the contrite. You see, He wants to have fellowship with us. And God will say many times, Jeremiah chapter 31 is simply one place where He says that I will be their God and they will be My people. And so He wants to be with us. He wants to be our God. He wants us to be His people. 
even though he's high and holy and far above us, yet he's willing to condescend and dwell with us. Do you know the Bible says that we can please God? Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That we can please Him. Ephesians 5 and verse 10, walk as children of light, trying to learn what is well-pleasing to the Lord. And so we walk as children of light, trying to learn what is pleasing to God. There are several statements to that effect in, in the New Testament. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. I'm writing this so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects. We, we can please God. Was there ever anybody in your life that you wanted to please, but no matter what you did, you just couldn't do it? And so it may have been a teacher. Now, yeah, you wanted to please the teacher, so you put your heart and soul and a lot of time and work and effort into a particular project or studied for a test. And so you, you did your very best, but no matter what you did, how hard you worked, how hard you tried, You'd get that paper back and be full of red marks all over it. You, you wanted to please the teacher, you just couldn't. Or maybe it's a coach, and, and you're, you're playing ball, and, and the coach is demanding, and you're trying to please him. You, you have a lot of respect for him, and, and you, you, you want to make him proud. <laughs> yeah. But no matter what you do, it's just not enough. You just you can't please him. Maybe it's a parent. You know, maybe it's a father. And there's a distance between you and the Father. Maybe a physical distance. Maybe He's not in the picture at all. Or maybe there's just an emotional distance between you and the Father. But you want to please your Father. And you try, and you try, and you try, and you try. Just can't connect. Just can't please Him. Or it's never good enough. God says you can please me. You can learn what's pleasing to me. You can please me in every respect. You see, God wants to be our God, and He wants us to be His people. And in the Bible, He reveals to us how we can please Him. And so that's why we, we have a desire to please God. We make it our ambition to be well-pleasing to Him, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. And so that's why we place so much importance on the Bible, because it's telling us how we can please God. It teaches us about ourselves. Now, the Bible tells us in the very beginning that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that makes us different from everything else that's been created. One of the things that does is that it makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God because we are like Him in some way. And so we can have a personal relationship with Him, and that's what He wants. He created us in that way so that He might have a relationship with us. But the Bible also tells us that something has gone wrong. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that we have sinned and our relationship with God has changed. Now, God created us good, but things changed when we, human beings, transgressed God's law. And as a result, now there is death and terminal illness and famine and war and disaster. Now people are selfish and full of pride and greed and they're indulgent and all of those things. And we're hurt. You see, we brought that upon ourselves when we sinned. And, and, and so we're, we're damaged by that. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us that, that uh, what, death has come into the world through sin. And death spread to all men because all sin. And I think he especially has in mind their spiritual death, spiritual separation from God. And so things were good in the beginning when God created us. 
But you see, there's something wrong, and, and we are the ones that brought that about. We've sinned, and everything now has changed. And so, it tells us about ourselves. We are sinful people. We are sinners. And that's created a problem between us and God. Now, the Bible also tells us where we're going. I heard somebody say one time, there are three big questions in philosophy. Where did we come from? Where are we going? And what are we supposed to be doing in between? Well, the Bible answers all of those. Where did we come from? We're created by God in His image. Now, where are we going? Where are we headed? Are we just flying through space? You know, on the face of the earth, we're just flying headed nowhere? No. The Bible tells us that we're headed for a great day of judgment. We've been studying that from Revelation chapter 21. But there are other places in the Bible that discuss that. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God, or all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And so we're all headed to a great day of judgment, and after that, eternal destiny, even in he- either in heaven or in hell. They're raised to a resurrection of life or to the resurrection of judgment. John 5 and verse 28. And so it tells us about us. We're created in God's image, and yet something has gone horribly wrong. That something is our sin. And our sin has brought about just terrible, terrible consequences. We're headed toward a day of judgment, where we'll give an account of ourselves before God. And if we've done well, according to the gospel, well then, a resurrection of life. But not, if we've done evil, to the resurrection of condemnation. The Bible teaches us about Jesus. It tells us a little bit about his early life. He was a Jew. He was raised in Nazareth, born in Bethlehem during the Roman Empire. His mother's name was Mary. The man who raised him as his father was Joseph. And maybe you'll see why I say it that way in just just a minute or two. Uh, He was a carpenter. There wasn't anything remarkable about his appearance. He lived a, a short life. He only lived to just over the age of 30. It also tells us some extraordinary things about him. He was born of a virgin. Matthew chapter 1 tells us, born born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So the person who raised him as a father, Joseph, was not his biological father. Mary conceived him by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. He taught wonderful things. Sometimes he criticized the elites of his day. Um, He went about doing good. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 tells us, And he did some very impressive miracles as well. And we have some of those miracles recorded for us in the Bible. But John tells us that he did many other things, many other miracles, many other signs that are not written in this book. He says, these are written so that you might believe that he is the Son of God. That's John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. But he's more than a kind miracle worker. Those who spent time with him, those who watched him and listened to him, reach some remarkable conclusions about him. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew says, We found the Messiah. John chapter 1, verse 41. Nathaniel says in John chapter 1, verse 49, You are the Son of God. You're the Son of God. And in John chapter 4, and verse 42, the men who came to believe on him through the testimony of the woman at the well 
He said, we've seen it with our own eyes. You are the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He's called Jesus, sometimes Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. And so, He existed in heaven before He came to earth, but He took on human nature, including a physical body, came to earth and lived among us as one of us in order to pay the necessary price for us to be forgiven of our sins. And that price was the cross. He died for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3 says, He died for our sins. Now we wouldn't know that if it weren't for the Bible. Why is the Bible important? Because it tells us about Jesus. It tells us what Jesus did for us. Paid the price, necessary price, for our forgiveness. Christ is raised from the dead. He sits at God's right hand. But He's coming again to bring those who belong to Him to Himself. Now how do we access this great gift that Christ has brought to us? This, this gift of forgiveness. Well, we put our faith in Him. Put our trust in Him. Turn away from every other attempt to justify ourselves. And depend solely upon Christ and His work on the cross to make ourselves right with God, we follow Him. We follow His teaching. We go where He would want us to go. We do what He would want us to do. We say what He would want us to say. Now the only way we're going to learn that is through the Scripture, through the Bible. You know, we don't know very much at all. There are a few references to Jesus outside the New Testament. But if you want to know what Jesus taught so you can follow it, you've got to learn it from the Bible. That's, that's the only source. And so how do we access what He's done for us? We put our faith in Him. We follow Him. We're united with Him by being baptized in the likeness of His death. Romans chapter 6, the first few verses there. And so the Bible tells us about Jesus. And then one more point, the Bible teaches us our purpose in life. And so where do we come from? Where are we going? We might add, why are things as bad as they are? <laughs> why are things like this in the world? Well, the Bible tells us. Well, what can we do about it? Well, it, the, the solution has been brought to us through Christ. Now, what are we supposed to be doing in the meantime? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes provides an interesting answer. It's written by a man who identifies himself as, as the preacher. could be Solomon from the information that he leaves behind here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But what he says is, you know, I, I was a king. I had unlimited resources. I had limited opportunity. And I decided I was going to find out what gives meaning to life. And so I tried everything. I tried pleasure. I, I just tried to, to, to experience as much pleasure as, as possible, you know, in a wise sort of way. But, but I tried that. Whatever I wanted to do, I did. And I, I, I found really that to be a, kind of a meaningless life. I tried the accumulation of things. And so, you know, I built big gardens. I built big houses. I really had unlimited resources. I could kind of acquire anything I wanted. So I acquired whatever I wanted. And, you know, that's what really very satisfying. And, you know, you know money answers some problems in life, but ultimately not the biggest problems. And, you know, I tried to just accumulate as much knowledge as I could just tried to learn all the wisdom that I could, that I could accumulate. I, I tried human achievement and accomplishment. I tried all of those things. It's just like striving after the wind. 
Just, just, just didn't do it for me. And at the end of that book, he says, you know, this is the end of the matter. This is the conclusion. Everything has been heard. All has been said and done. Fear God. Keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Here, here's what life is about. It's not the accumulation of wealth. It's not, it's not human achievement. It's not how much can you learn. Those things are are good in some ways, and maybe the wise man is better off than the fool, and the rich man in some ways better off than the poor man, but, but ultimately, you, you can't take your wealth with you, you gotta leave it behind. And you can't take that building that you built with you, you gotta leave that behind. And that, that pleasure is only momentary, and you're gonna die, you're gonna leave that behind. Here's what matters. Fear God and keep His commandments. That's what Jesus did. I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. That's what Paul did. I make it my ambition, I make it my aim to be well-pleasing to Him. So fear God and keep His commandments. See, we're not looking at things that are earthly. They're only temporary. We're looking at things that are eternal, because those are the things that are going to be to our benefit in eternity. Fear God and keep His commandments. Ephesians chapter 5, we're to be imitators of God. We're to live holy and righteous and pure lives. We're to be holy as He is holy and pure as He is pure. We're to live lives of service to others. Remember Jesus, follow the example of Jesus. Jesus lived to serve others. And so we live a pure and righteous, holy life, one that brings honor and glory to God. And we help others, we serve others, as we have resources and opportunity. What's our goal in life? What are we supposed to be doing? Laying up treasure on earth? No. See, moth and rust consume. Thieves break through and steal what you lay up on earth. Now, our, our purpose is to lay up treasure in heaven, where rust doesn't harm it, thieves can't break through and steal it. It's, it's there, it's permanent. And so, Here's what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us about God, what He's like, His characteristics. It teaches us that we can please Him. It teaches us about ourselves. As proud as we might be and as highly as we think of ourselves sometimes, we, there's something wrong. We've done something wrong. We're, sin, we're sinners, and we've ruined things. But there's a remedy in Christ. So it teaches us about Jesus. And it teaches us what our purpose should be. No wonder, then, that we place such an importance on studying the Bible, reading the Bible, learning the Bible, and sharing it with others, because they need this information as well. We want to be people of the book. You can just say it that way. Be, a, be people of the book, and we can be pleasing to God. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the opportunity to come before you today and worship and and uh, give you our praise and our glory. We pray, Father, that what we've done today has been pleasing to you. Father, we're thankful that you've given us your word. There are so many things that we need to know about you that we would not know if it were not for your revelation. We understand, Father, that you've given it to us because you love us and you care for us and you want to be with us and you want us to be with you. You want to be our God. And you want us to be your people. We learned that through your word, Father. May we never neglect it.
We're thankful, Father, that you've sent Christ into the world and you have a record of what Christ did. We can, we can learn it and we can understand it. We can enjoy the benefit of what he's done for us and we can follow in his footsteps. Help us, Father, to live lives that bring glory and honor to you. Not self-centered lives, selfish lives, not lives in pursuit of this world's pleasure or possessions or prestige, but lives that bring glory and honor to you so that we might live in that glory, your glory, forever and ever. Help us, Father, to be people of the book, of your book. We might learn it and follow it and teach it to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here and you're 